Welcome to A Word from the Valley, a weekly podcast produced for you from Zion Lutheran Church in Middletown, Maryland. For more information about our faith community and our weekly worship services, visit us at zionmiddletown.org or find us on Facebook. We hope you have a great week, and God bless. Don't invite Jesus to your party. Might be one of my more controversial sermon titles that I've done in a while. Also doesn't make much sense. Why wouldn't you want Jesus to come to your party? I mean, he can turn water into wine. Good wine at that. I mean, imagine if you've run out of those pigs in a blanket, you know, with the Vienna sausages wrapped in the crescent rolls. You know, one of my favorite party foods to go to. Just go to Jesus. I'm sure he could find something to turn into them, right? It's pretty good to have at a party. Why wouldn't you want Jesus at your party? It's a celebrity. I remember um, when I was a kid, we lived in Owens Mills, Maryland, and um, in the 90s, early 90s, Cal Ripken was breaking all those records. And Cal Ripken, though, also lived in Owens Mills, Maryland. Granted, outskirts of Owens Mills, Maryland, but nonetheless, he was about 10, 15 minutes from our home. I mean, his house, it was, um, it was immaculate. It was huge. I mean, the guest house was larger than most of the homes that, I, I, that we ever saw. But I always dreamed that he would come to one of my birthday parties or something and how envious all my friends would be at school. I got Cal Ripken to come to my birthday party. I mean, nowadays, as I get older, I think it'd be really cool to have Patrick's Stuart come to my party, uh, like Christmas party or something, um, talk about Star Trek and all the cool things they got to do, and be the envy of all the nerds and the Trekkies in the land. Why wouldn't you want Jesus to come to your party? Doesn't make much sense. Now, we haven't hosted a party. My wife and I, we used to do a lot of, of hosting in our home. Our house in Charlestown was about two or three times the size of the one we currently have at Parsonage. And it was perfect for uh, large get-togethers. It was large enough to hold both of our church councils at Christmas time and their families. We had Thanksgiving meals at this home. We had like eight or ten dogs running around and 20 people. And we still had them. We even had a few kids' birthday parties in there. Lately, though, we haven't done many large gatherings at our home out of concern for family safety and concern for those who attend, their safety as well. But I miss it. I miss having those get-togethers at our home. I miss planning the meal, and I miss cooking the meal. I miss picking out all the different serving plates that we have and trying to figure out what would go on what and how we would set the table then. I even miss cleaning the house. I know, weird. So this is an area that Pastor Diane and I um, usually fight the most about, because I'm someone who thinks that if you, if you have people coming over, you clean the entire house, even the rooms that people aren't going to be in, upstairs, downstairs, you clean every single bathroom, you scrub them all the way down, everything gets cleaned up and put away and tidied up. Even though people aren't going to go to those places, you still do it. Pastor Diane has a philosophy that you only clean what you not, want, need to clean, because you have to cook for 20 people coming over. There's a lot to do. You don't have time to go through the whole house. Yet in my mind, I have this fear 
that upon entering our home, our guests are going to immediately run to all those places that we did not clean and look in all the closets that we did not, that we shoved everything into and say, yep, caught them red-handed. See, they don't keep stuff clean. I knew it. I knew it. It's crazy, right? It is crazy, right? You all don't do that, right? Please don't say you do that. No one does it, right? Regardless of my crazy tendencies, when we host people over at our home, we strive to be good hosts, just like you all do. We want our guests to leave full and happy. And I will admit, I do like showing off a bit with my culinary skills. I don't do many things well. Food and cooking, I can do real well. I remember many a council Christmas party where I wanted to have like 20 different side dishes and three or four different main courses. And my wife told me, for one thing, we can't afford that. And two, no one's going to eat that much food. It's a waste. The reality is we didn't need to impress our guests. They already love us. We had church people over at our homes. We didn't need to impress them. We don't need to impress you all because you already are impressed enough with us to call us as your pastor. Yet still, I just, I don't like just sending out a cheese tray and some crackers and calling it good. So as I was pondering this text this week, I started wondering about motivation and, and why um, and why we have people over to our home in the first place, especially church people. Is it to impress them, to thank them, Are we hoping that they would uh, reciprocate in turn by remembering us? When concerns would come up through the year, you know, you scratch my back, I scratch your back type of thing. I mean, that is, that's normal, right? The mutual back scratching, quid pro quo. All the high school business classes I took talked about the importance of networking. Because so much in the business world is knowing people in order to get ahead. I mean, that's how we ended up here because we formed a relationship with Bishop Gole and his staff, they came to us and said, would you like to interview when we weren't even thinking about it? It is so normal to look at people and wonder if having a relationship with this particular person can help advance my cause. Because that's how we were brought up and trained to do. Yet how many of us, though, upon hearing this gospel lesson, thought like we normally think about the Bible? Yeah, that doesn't happen anymore. We don't act this way. We don't care about honor and shame like they once did. Our system might not be as formalized as it was in Jesus' day 2,000 years ago. The things that Jesus challenges in this this particular pericope for today, challenges his hosts and fellow guests, it still happens today. We still do these things all the time. I was listening to uh, this woman talk about uh, a video where she was describing uh, she used to work at a mega church, and one of her jobs at the church was making sure that the first few rows of the church were always filled each Sunday. But she couldn't just put anybody in those pews. She had to put in people who met a certain criteria. They had to look good on camera. They had to be smiling. They had to... You didn't want to put people up there who might fall asleep, who might not have dressed well. I know you all are like, I don't want to sit in the front row. But this, what they were doing is saying that they were discouraging people. They were telling people, you couldn't come to church if you didn't act a certain way or look a certain way. You couldn't have a place at the table. 
because you didn't meet a certain criteria. And so usually the staff would fill these first few rows of, of the church with people who were volunteers, who they would interview beforehand to make sure that they would look good on camera. I even remember a time, um, it was the first Lent at St. John's, my, my first Lent there, and we were doing Wednesday nights in Lent, and we were changing our whole program and, and how we were doing it. And so I put a sign out front that said, food and worship, come on inside. And I was not expecting, I, in my mind, I was expecting that this sign would draw young families in. It would draw in business people who were just getting off work. It would draw in recent college grads, you know, all the people that the church told me they wanted to to bring in and, and people who I wanted to bring into the church. But those didn't show up that night and those nights following. Um, instead, it was the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, the drug addicts, maybe even the drug dealers, the prostitutes, the people who had never been invited to church came in. We didn't have any young families join us, working professionals or recent college grads that I thought that sign would attract. And I, I remember at the time thinking that I failed. And now after reading this gospel this week, I felt really convicted. In Jesus' day, the society was structured around this system that sociologists called the patron-client system. And in this system, a mutual agreement between a person that has authority, social status, wealth, or some other personal resource, i.e. the patron, and another who benefits from the support or influence. It's called the client. And in this model, you only interact with people who can elevate your social status. Luke refers to this by noting Jesus' observation of the way people acted. In verse 7, he says, Jesus watched how the guests chose the places of Jesus' advice is actually really good advice in this patron-client model. However, I really doubt that it would have happened. And, I'm, and I don't have a degree in social, sociology around biblical studies. I, I'm just a pastor. But from what I can tell, because the patron-client system was so ingrained in the social interactions of the people of the day, I doubt they would ever consider or thought to act in this way. It would have almost been equally shameful for someone of high status to take a lower seat. You are saying to the rest of your family and community that you view yourself as a lower status. Jesus' words, while they might fall in line with the wisdom literature, the words of Proverbs, they're quite controversial. Yet these, these highly controversial words from Luke 14 describe how the inbreaking divine realm as heralded by Jesus comes by dismantling hierarchies of social status and economic power. But notice where Jesus is saying all these critiques at. It's not after the party has ended, outside. He's saying it during the party that he was invited to come to. It's like having your guests over, and while they're sitting down at the table complaining about the food you're serving. Jesus was invited to the party by the host as probably a way to elevate 
the host's social status. The host saw Jesus as a celebrity who could do things and say things that nobody else could do or say. However, I think Jesus becomes a bit of a liability. He challenges the host and all those in attendance and demands that they abandon their social norms and cues of the day. This text reminds us that the that disciples of Jesus, i.e. you and me, We find honor when we invite and serve those who typically don't get invited to the party. The tables that we set should not be meant for those who can return the favor. For Luke, disciples do not care about societal norms around honor and shame because what really matters is creating a place where God's kingdom can break in to our world. For when we turn to tables and invite the lowly to sit at our honor places, we see a glimpse, a glimmer of the coming kingdom of God. But this gospel message should not come as much of a surprise to us. The Blessed Mother herself once sang about the lowly being lifted up into the places, into the seat of power, while the tyrants are cast down from their thrones. Mary's words are coming to fruition through her son. The tables are literally being turned in God's kingdom. God's kingdom breaks open into our world when Christians welcome those who have never been invited. Those who have nothing to offer in return. Those who have been excluded for a host of, number of, for a host of many different reasons. So yeah, you probably should avoid inviting Jesus to your party if, if you're doing it simply to fix some honor and shame issues that you have going on. You should probably avoid inviting Jesus to your party if you're afraid of those who might be joining him. And you should probably avoid inviting Jesus to your party if you're not comfortable with Jesus challenging you and your honored guests during the meal. The reality is, of course, as Christians, we should always want Jesus at our parties. We should want Jesus to come to our parties each and every week, to come to this party that we call worship. But we also need to be a bit careful and not focus on only making those, welcoming those to join us who have something to offer. Rather, let us, op- let us invite and open our tables, our doors, to all those who wish to encounter Christ. The table is set. The food is about to be prepared. Who's missing from our table today?